Welcome to Changing Lives Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. This podcast was originally created to spotlight the leaders, alumni, and friends of the Cutco Vector Marketing community who are leveraging their positive influence to empower people all over the world to change their lives. Every few weeks, we go outside of the Cutco Vector sphere to bring you a guest who is teaching others how to have a more successful and fulfilling life, both personally and professionally. The special guests we bring to you here in episodes like today's are successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. The lessons they share are compelling, real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Today, we are featuring Heather Zumaraga, and wait till you hear her intro and credentials as I welcome her onto the podcast. She is a star. Heather became a number one salesperson in the male-dominated financial services industry. We'll talk about many of the things she learned about gender interactions in the workplace. If you agree with the idea that we're all in a certain workplace, whether it's Cutco Vector or somewhere else, to advance our professional aspirations and not for a social club, then it makes sense to adapt our behaviors to that objective. Heather offers some of her own lessons, do's and don'ts for both men and women, important perspectives for male leaders, and suggestions for women to maximize their female strengths at work. I want to be clear that the views expressed in this conversation are purely Heather's and mine. These do not represent Cutco Vector policies or standard corporate guidelines anywhere else, but instead are more like food for thought for any of our listeners to consider. I hope you enjoy this conversation as Heather and I have some fun navigating this challenging topic. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I have a very special guest today that I'm honored to be with. Her name is Heather Zumaraga. She is a business consultant, public speaker, author, and leader in the financial services industry. She received a degree in finance and investments from Baruch College in New York City, and she got her MBA from the Kogod School of Business at American University in Washington, D.C. Heather exceeded $1 billion in sales for Sun America Asset Management, and she ranked number one in the company from 2014 to 2016. She advanced to become a senior regional vice president of the parent company, AIG. And just for context, this is a real male-dominated industry. And Heather learned to thrive in that industry. She learned a lot about male-female interactions in corporate culture. A lot of cool stuff that she'll share with us today. She has been trained at the Buckley School for Public Speaking. And she now leads investment conferences for Wells Fargo, UBS, and Charles Schwab. She's appeared on CNBC, Newsmax, and Fox News Business. And her work has been featured in major publications, including Forbes. She's also the author of a HarperCollins leadership book called The Man's Guide to Corporate Culture. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the nuggets from her book today. She teaches men and women 
how to better interact and support each other in corporate settings. And she'll have insights for both men and women in our audience here in this conversation today. Just a couple other things I got to tell you about Heather before I welcome her on. She has a private pilot license. She has a black belt in Taekwondo. And in 2015, Washington Life Magazine recognized her as one of DC's most powerful people under 40. She now lives in Miami, Florida with her husband and daughter. I'm extremely grateful to have her as a guest today. Heather Zumarago, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Dan, good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I'm grateful for you making the time for uh, the audience of young, up-and-coming leaders in the uh, Cutco Vector family. So We won't be using any of the black belt stuff on the podcast today, especially if I'm going up against a family that has a lot of knives. So not be I, a good, good one. Idea. Good one. And I am grateful because I'm sure you would kick my butt. No. Um, start out by telling us, uh, telling the audience a little bit about your personal background. Well, yeah, I, I think you had a great intro. I think you said it all. I mean, when I was a little girl, maybe I watched one too many movies. I watched the Wall Street, the first one, like with Gordon Gecko. I know there have been several, uh, several others, but the first one is one of the best. And I said, oh, I want to work on Wall Street. So long story short, 18 years old, took a train, went to New York, uh, somehow navigated that uh, my way into that world through internships. You don't make a lot of money to start. You just want to get your foot in the door. And I had um, an internship with Bank of America, Merrill Lynch at the time, and uh, a few other hedge funds down on Wall Street, and then uh, found Sun America and did very well. So I'm both, I consider myself also lucky, but there was a lot of hard work involved as well. And thank you for that intro. I, I think that sums it up. Awesome. And, and you grew up where? Uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Yeah, you wouldn't know it, but when you moved to New York, you probably, I I got rid of the accent as best I could. Walking around saying, how y'all doing? People kind of take advantage of you. So, but now that I moved back down South, I think I can, I can pick it up again. Indeed. So your book, Heather, is called A Man's Guide to Corporate Culture. What inspired you to write this book? That's a good question. I mean, I get that a lot, especially being that a female wrote a book for men. As far as I know, it may be the only book written for men on how to succeed in the workplace in today's corporate culture. And so as a wholesaler, as you mentioned, for Sun America, AIG, and other various companies as well since then, it's a very male-dominated industry, as maybe uh, yours is, but yours is transitioning out of that. I think Wall Street and financial services is still male-dominated, although they've made a lot of steps and strides as well. And originally, HarperCollins approached me. They were expanding the lineup of women. And I, I think, I don't know for sure, but they were interested in writing a book on how to succeed as a woman in leadership and sales and financial services or, or what have you. And I thought, wait a minute, most of my clients were, were men. And they told me that after the Me Too movement, they were re actually reluctant to hire women, that it had backfired on some women because they were scared of getting in trouble. So instead of embracing it, some mm. of them actually said that they didn't want to hire any women at all because they just didn't even want to deal with it. But I work with a lot of good guys. And I know at the time when the Me Too movement started, there were also not a lot of good guys. Everyone I worked with was a good guy. But 
I thought, let me help the guys that I'm working with because nobody's really standing up for them. There are a lot of initiatives for women, a lot of books written to help women. And I love that. And diversity and inclusion programs. That's great. But I felt like the men were being forgotten about in all of this. So that's all. I just wanted to help the good guys. Yeah. I mean, it does seem like there was a real opportunity there that you found and captured because I can agree with you that, you know, as the Me Too movement became more prevalent, it had many, many tremendous benefits and things that came out of it. But maybe there were some unintended consequences. And and maybe it is true that, you know, some of the good guys that were out there were left uncoached on how they could adapt to the new ways of operating and just, uh, you know, how how things were going. What about me? What do I do? Where do I fit in as a man in this new norm? Yeah, exactly. So we'll look forward to hearing a lot of your tips for both men and women here today. I want to have you share a little bit about your time with Sun America and AIG because you were in this male-dominated industry. Uh, You were the number one salesperson for three years among many, many men that were working there. And I think that's tremendous. I guess first I would say, help us understand why there were so few women in the role that you had. Well, uh, for me, knowing what I know now, at that time I was single. I didn't have a family. Things were much different in my 20s than they are in my 30s. And that's because if you don't have a lot of other responsibilities outside of work, if you've graduated college and you don't have to worry about your education, I mean, hopefully you're always learning and growing, striving to become better. But outside of like working out, going to the gym, if you don't have a family, you have a lot more time, I think, as a man or woman to work really long hours and have a demanding schedule. And it hit me later on in my 30s, I get why there weren't a lot of women in in the business or the industry, because I was driving on average two or three hours in one direction every day to wherever, whatever company I was meeting with or whatever team I was meeting with in in different cities. So you cover a territory. I had um, two states plus D.C., And that all worked very well until I had a family, because if you have to pick up your daughter, you know, I know you have two kids, somebody has to pick them up and drop them off every day. Maybe you can't afford a full-time babysitter, or if you need to interact with your family, maybe you don't have kids, but you have parents to take care of, or maybe you just want to hang out with your family more. There was no work-life balance. I mean, that was basically the bottom line. And I couldn't juggle still to this day. I will admit, I still struggle with that. I really do. And COVID has actually helped me reconnect with my family from working from home and working virtually as much as I like to get back to the office and go drive around and see everyone. These Zoom meetings and virtual events online, I think have really helped me reconnect with family, which I couldn't do before. Yeah. So what you just shared is really instructive, I think, for any leaders in any type of organization where we encourage young people, hey, work hard, move up the ladder, do what you can to like build things when you're young. But that has to be tempered by some type of long-term vision of this is what the role can be if you work with us for the long term. And this is how you can develop an organization. For example, within our company, people can develop an organization with staff and people they can delegate to so that they can have a reasonable lifestyle 
right, while they're working and doing well. And that's an important thing to be able to do to appeal to both women and men to be successful long-term in any organization. Right. Well, that's really important. Something you touched on is that I didn't have that type of infrastructure. So you saying that at Cutco, for example, if you build your business in your 20s and then someday you have a family, you're saying, well, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, we want you to stay here and have that work-life balance and we will provide you the tools or people or human infrastructure you need in order to do that. I didn't have that. It wasn't offered to me or given, good, bad, right, or wrong. It is what it is. That's the industry I was in, the financial industry, which is has similarities, but is also different. If you're at a company that's going to allow you and encourage you to have that work-life balance, like it seems like you're doing at Cutco, don't let go of it. You stay with it. I wish I had that. I really do. And like I said, the pandemic actually helped me be at home more there. Of course, I think the negative of of the pandemic outweigh the positives, but um, I wish I had that. So that's a very important point that you mentioned. Yeah, indeed. Well, you were extremely successful in your role. What were the strengths that you brought to the table to have such great success? Like you mentioned, working hard, very competitive. Again, those are pros and cons. That was a strength at the time because as one of the only female in the sales force, females in the sales force, I thought, I want to, I can beat the men. You know, I'll show them. I want to beat them. I mean, at the end of the day, that's not the most important thing in life. But when you're just starting off, you know, why not? Being competitive is not such a bad thing if you don't give up other things that are very important in your life. And I think being grateful uh, for the opportunities. You know, my manager, my boss that hired me, they took, I think, a risk on me. I didn't have the type of experience and background that other men and women had in the financial industry. And they really took a risk on me and said, Heather, you know, we'll give you a shot in the field, in the sales uh, field and and see what you can do. And it was a pretty much hands-off, autonomous role and approach. And I thrived in that culture. Instead of micromanagement, it's great if you're in a position where as long as you're being moral, ethical, and legal, and you can bring in sales and put up good numbers and, and sell, and you're left alone, that's a really great feeling. But I think why I was able to be successful is being competitive. But again, you have to weigh the costs and benefits of that and just being grateful and wanting to pay back those that gave me the opportunity to do so. Yeah, it's, it's cool to hear that you thought that way about giving back to the people that created the opportunity for you. Like that's a very gallant way of thinking about what you were doing. What were the challenges that you experienced in your role? Well, initially when I started, as I said, I was one of the only females. The territory was like last. There were no sales coming in from the territory. And the guy saw me as like their little sister. And I was younger than most of them by at least maybe 10 or 20 years. And as I started doing better and as I started beating them in the sales numbers, I saw, you know, they didn't see me the same way anymore. And it became very competitive. And I think it took a strain on our relationships which can happen, but I I still think it was better for me to do my best and and be competitive than not. And eventually I earned their respect and and it was fine, but they just didn't see me as like the little kid that needed to be taught and trained on what to do anymore if I was beating them. So I guess the challenge was just relationships. If you're in a very highly competitive environment, I want everybody to like me. I know that's not always going to happen, but that was something that, you know, you just want people to like you. And 
The second thing would be that I didn't fully understand the workload involved. Trying to manage my schedule was very challenging starting out. I have now become extremely organized and efficient after about 15 years (laughs) doing this. But in the beginning, like if you have an internal, we had something called an internal working with us and working with others. So at least I did have one person that could help me manage my calendar and my schedule. But I learned to manage the workload in the schedule that was so demanding. The best thing to do was to set aside one day a week. And for us, it was Fridays because it wasn't usually a lot of, there weren't a lot of people to go see. It wasn't a busy day in the stock market, usually on Fridays. And I took that day off. You mute your phone or you ignore your emails for a few hours, but you, whatever it takes to just get in the zone and get your schedule together, because I think it's even more important to have a full organized calendar than the actual meetings. Preparation is everything. I mean, even though we're doing like an informal conversation right now that we're having somewhat, I prepare. You always prepare for a meeting. When I go on TV, sometimes they tell me a topic we don't even end up talking about. Today, actually, on Fox Business, I don't even know what the topic was because it wasn't what they told me it was going to be, but I still prepare. You do your best. And I think that's half the battle. If you prepare, you have an organized schedule. I don't know if the people that work for you have the ability to take a half a day, like on Friday or whenever it could be, or if they have the time to do that. But that was what really helped me navigate the workload challenge was to put aside time to organize my schedule. It really helped. Yeah. I love that tip. That's a great idea about making sure that you're taking time for preparation, for planning, even recharging a little bit during that time is a part of what I think happens. And it's like sharpening the saw, the old analogy that Stephen Covey would share in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You're sharpening the saw so that you can be more effective when you actually are working. Really Um, good book, by uh, the way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense for sure. Um, It's interesting that you described how when you started everybody viewed you as like the little sister. Hey, come here, let me help you. Then you started beating a lot of them or all of them eventually. And there, there might've been a little bit of jealousy for a while. And then you earned the respect It came full circle. And then everybody was teammates again and supportive and helpful of each other. Do you think Heather, that that cycle would have been different if you were a man? Hmm. Yes. Yes, Absolutely. Why? I don't know. They're just gender roles that society, you know, maybe from birth, maybe innate or whatever it is. And in the industry, look, if you work in the cosmetic industry, for example, I'm assuming it's mainly female dominated. I think it, it would be very difficult. A man in my shoes would have those same struggles that I outlined. So I don't want to say it's easy for men. It's not, but men and women, and that's why I wrote the book, do have different struggles and challenges just depending on the industry and gender. I think it does matter. It's it's more important to focus on our similarities, but I don't think you can ignore the fact, for example, that if you have children, uh, usually it's the woman that is bearing the brunt of those responsibilities. Good, bad, right, or wrong, that's what it is. Right, right. I mean, at least during the pregnancy, we can't argue that that's a period of time <laughs> where <better> not. <laughs> a woman bears the brunt. Exactly. <laughs> And that onward beyond birth, like that carries on. I think you and I are both on the same page that that carries on for a lot longer than than just uh, that early stage. 
for better or for worse, that is a reality. And, and that's something that we all have to recognize. I'm just thinking about the women who are succeeding at a very high level in my organization. And, and as people start cropping up as superstars, I feel like we try to give the women who are cropping up as superstars a tick more attention and effort, recognizing that we need the examples and that having those examples is so powerful in a company like ours. And so it's sort of in everyone's interest for us to help more women succeed in an organization like ours. And, um, and I feel like that is something that most of the leaders in our company are, would, would consciously say that they're aware of and they think about with the women leaders they have. That's really good to hear that. That's really encouraging. Can I work for you? <laughs> we take you a billion dollars in sales. That, that's more. That's more Cutco than I've sold. Uh, a lot of knives. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a lot of knives. Um, so, what were the takeaways as you went through these years of growing in your success and seeing the male to female interactions? Like, what were the takeaways and lessons that came out of that that you're trying to share with people? Thinking that I had to be number one, I don't want to discourage competitiveness, but that's not the end all be all. Maybe you can be number two and do just as well and actually have longevity and a more stable career by being number two or number 22. If you're number one, that's great. But at what cost? You know, what are you sacrificing? For example, I don't know if you've seen Michael Jordan's The Last Dance on ESPN. At at the end, he teared up on the show revealing that Winning meant everything to him, but he was crying saying that winning has a price and leadership has a price. So it's always at what cost. And I don't really view it as a mistake. I think it's a learning experience and I wouldn't be where I am today because of it. But the New York Times actually said it best during COVID. They said, as a in the COVID economy, well, as a woman or a man, you can have a kid or a job, but not both. But Unlike, I guess, the great thing about Cutco is from my understanding, you can achieve that elusive work-life balance that I could not. Yeah. Well, here we're, our, all of our individual field managers are in business for themselves. So it's like owning any other small business in that you're, you have the autonomy to execute what has to be done in the way that you want. And as long as there's results, then there's profit and sustainability. And so you know, somebody certainly can work different types of schedules and do it in different ways. And we've virtualized most of the elements so that it can almost all be done at home. As long as somebody has a professional workspace, it, it really can work well. Tell me about this. I'd like to ask you to speak to the men in our audience for a second. So your book has a lot of do's and don'ts. There's a lot of lessons in the book about how men and women can relate better in the corporate environment. I'd love for you to speak to some of the men for a moment and talk about some of the key behaviors that you feel help to create and maintain a comfortable work environment for female coworkers. What are some of those behaviors or habits? There are a lot in the book, but that is important. And if you're a man, especially if you're a younger man, you might think, well, why would I, you know, why should I care? But also a big part of this is not just to be making and create an inclusive environment with the females, but to keep yourself out of trouble. You know, again, going back to the beginning, a lot of good guys have maybe they were well-intended, but they said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing that was misinterpreted or misunderstood and can get you in trouble. So it's also all about protecting your reputation. This is your professional career. And I guess you can start out with small talk, 
in the office, which is very important. Well, not just the office, but with your clients. You know, I know you're virtual right now, so it doesn't have to be an office. It can be online as well. And it's very important to have what's called small talk, which is basically a moment of caring through words with your clients and coworkers. But in this, I think, very divisive environment that we're in right now, when you turn on the news or you think about politics, definitely don't talk about politics. Even if you think this, the other person may be of the same viewpoint, you really, you never know. Don't talk about religion, office gossip, relationship drama, or crude jokes and humor. Keep that with your friends or outside of the workplace, because again, A, you never know how the other person is going to interpret it. Even if you think they're your friend and they may, I'm sure you have a lot of friends that you work with that are also maybe your clients, but you never know what they're thinking. You always want to be seen as professional when you're in the workplace and things you, so if you're thinking, well, what can I discuss? Work projects, the weather I think is safe, your personal family, your own family, but not relationship drama, traffic, which I'm sure is an issue for many people, sports or even the stock market. I think those are all safe subjects to discuss in today's environment. And so the idea of small talk is just the, you know, the connection and rapport building that happens among coworkers, right? Right. Communication being the key to success in all of your relationships. I mean, in sales, I don't know what else other than communication is there in terms of the key to selling. It's also the key to relationships. But it can also get you in trouble, <laughs> as right. we've learned. And again, it may be well-intended something you say, but it may be misinterpreted. So stick to those safe subjects like work projects, weather, family sports, and the stock market. Yeah. So that, that's all ways of keeping communication professional in the work environment. Right. Um, give us some more of the basic do's and don'ts for you know, male leaders in interacting with female coworkers? Well, I can get into complimenting if you'd like, which I think is very important in terms of recognition and giving compliments. I mean, we all like to be recognized. I think the first and foremost advice there would be don't make it about you. If you're complimenting anyone, the first line of accidental creeping, according to GQ, was to remove the word I out of the compliment. So anytime you say anything, no matter what it is, like, Dan, I love your podcast. Instead of saying, I love your podcast, which actually is pretty innocent and harmless, I would say, Dan, your podcast is great. That way, it doesn't seem like you're doing it for me. And I'm giving you all the credit and accolades that you rightfully deserve. Also, regarding the compliments, don't ever comment on anyone's body I mean, most of the time in the workplace, if someone has a new suit, you might, well, it's not really a compliment on their body, but still I shy away from complimenting on people's appearance. Unless you work in an industry where appearance matters, like the media or the cosmetic entertainment or fitness industry, then, well, you got to be okay with someone commenting on your appearance. But in the workplace to keep yourself safe, as a man, I wouldn't comment on another woman's body regardless and just stick to professional accomplishments. Our company, Heather, is founded on the principle of catch people doing things right. And so we provide a ton of recognition. And sometimes that recognition takes the form of a compliment. And as I was thinking about this, as you're answering, I'm like, you know what, we sometimes will compliment somebody we will say like, hey, you look really sharp. 
you know, it's or okay. something along that. Not, not as a play on words, by the way, Sharp, <laughs> but like we're trying to make somebody feel good about how they look. And, and a part of me feels like, don't people want to hear that because they spend all this time you would think. looking nice and dressing nice. And then another part of me, Heather says, you know, I think you're right. Like, I think there's just not a need for that. Like, why? Well, right? if okay. we can wean ourselves off of doing that and finding other things to compliment, it just seems like we'd be better off. You're right. There shouldn't be anything wrong with it. But again, it's just to protect yourself and your reputation in today's very politically sensitive, politically correct environment, good, bad, right or wrong. This is the environment that we live in where nine times out of 10, that person may be completely okay with you saying you look sharp. But there may be that one person that's not or one person that may be out to get you and reports you to HR or someone that overhears it and says they were that it made them feel uncomfortable or, oh, he's complimenting her. But what about me? You know, you never know. My point is that to protect your reputation and your job, most compliments in a corporate setting should not be about appearance. It's difficult to suss out where it's okay and where it's not. And so I think your point is that, that I'm receiving is just that find other things you can compliment that are not the words. And that yeah. it just, even though, as you said, maybe 90% of people are fine with it, it's not worth it for that 10% that aren't for us to cross that line. And when there are lots of other ways we can be recognizing people. So right. it's such a minefield that we live in, right? I mean, you have to like walk on eggshells. <laughs> you feel like I know, it. <laughs> and I don't want to. And I want I want to be judged based on my longstanding history. I want to be judged based on what are my clear intentions that are fairly obvious. I think most of the time, but I see that that you know it's not always that way, and it's a it is a minefield for sure. And I think you you certainly have given some of the men in the audience something to think about in terms of how they are interacting with women. What are some of the other like do's and don'ts that you like to teach to the young men that you um, are all the well, men? If you happen to be, a, you know, you're striving to become a male manager or you're in management. Some of my best advice was to critique people in private, but compliment them in public. I think that's always a good rule of thumb. If you're on a meeting with a Zoom call with a few people or you actually are in an office with a lot of people, critique and private, but compliment in public for sure. I think the tone of your voice also matters. So if I'm late to a meeting or late to a podcast and you say, thanks for joining us, it could mean when you say, thanks for joining us. And I was late, that's a negative thing. But if you say, thanks for joining us, Heather, and I showed up on time, you know, the tone of your voice really, really matters. It's equally as important as what you say. So that's something else you got to keep in mind when you're communicating with one another. Mm, yeah, I, t tone definitely makes a difference in how somebody receives any sort of statement. So I think that's really critical. I know uh, in your book, you also share a few like really basic things like, you know, if you're eating out with some of your coworkers, like attempting to make that more often in a small group versus a one on one with a male and a female. Um, right. That's chapter 10, the secret rules. Not yeah. so secret. Yeah. <laughs> Not so yeah. secret. So there are 13 of these so-called secret rules. Chapter 10, keeping communication professional, which we went through. Eating out in groups was also a very good, I think, tip because if you're one-on-one, -on -one, 
again, confusion could happen, especially if it's one man and one woman. So to keep yourself out of trouble, I always said eat out in groups and giving gender neutral compliments, which we just touched on giving compliments. But if you wouldn't say to a guy, you know, and your men then probably shouldn't be saying it to a woman. So things like that are included in those in those so-called 13 secret rules. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's other good stuff in there that you share on like just in greeting people, having a consistent greeting, whether it's a handshake or however it's done, as long as it's consistent from person to person, I think that's key. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we're, we have a real family culture in our company. There's definitely some hugging that happens, I but, everyone. I, I, but I think there's a right way to do that. And, and it, obviously there's, there is a right way to do that and a not right way to do that. And just making sure it's consistent from person to person that you're, you're not clearly giving one person more attention than, than somebody else in a physical way. And then you also describe about listening actively as a male leader working with your female coworkers and the importance of listening actively. Why is that one of the rules that you share? Right. Well, if you Google, why do women, (laughs) this is funny, the autocomplete is talk so much, (laughs) which when in actuality, the research shows that men and women actually talk about the same the same number of words per day. But, you know, I get it. A lot of people think women in general talk more than men. But people, again, in general, I think are speaking to be heard. And especially if you're in sales, it's actually my biggest sales have come from meetings where I didn't really say much. I didn't even explain the product, tell you what the yield is, tell you how much risk is involved if the stock market goes up or down. I usually don't even, I propose some products, but I don't go over them in depth or detail. I don't always have to. And I just listen and they tell me about their family and about their business and they end up buying. So I think active listening is very important. And one tip or trick is to paraphrase what the other person is saying and repeat it back to them or at a minimum, nod your head, say, uh-huh, right, gotcha, something like that. As a male leader dealing with a female coworker or colleague, is that is the idea that active listening creates a great show of respect that is an important part of the relationship building? Absolutely. I think it's more important, well, it's important for every gender to listen, but if you agree with the Google autocomplete that women, or if you have clients that are female dominated, which I think is the case for you, maybe try it where you propose the product and you're looking to close the deal. But if you just, if there's a woman and she's your client, but also your friend, and she just wants to talk to you, hear her out and then give her some advice or feedback, listen actively, comment on your own experiences. If you have any that also pertain to what she's talking about, I bet you she buys more from you. Yeah. We definitely teach a lot of active listening skills to our sales reps for sure. And you're right. We deal with largely female customers on our presentations. What other tips would you have for customer communication with female buyers? I think the most important thing you can do is connect on an emotional level, which part of that is by through active listening. Uh, That's really the secret, I think, to sales and and building an inclusive corporate culture with your employees, but also your clients. How has COVID changed things in sales in your view? The biggest challenge during COVID in sales is whether or not remote workers can maintain their sense of collaboration and maintain productivity with both their clients and coworkers without feeling left out and isolated. 
And a second challenge is that you have to be aware that real relationships and bonds, I think, which is related, are harder to develop on a device over the computer versus in person. Like you and I clearly were, you know, hitting it off well. We have a good discussion and conversation, but I, I think it would be 10 times better if we were in person. And the pandemic has not allowed us to do that. And so going forward, I know there will still be virtual and remote work, but technology should not become a 100% solution or substitute for human-to-human interaction. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. We're grappling with how the future will unfold for us, but uh, there is no doubt that human-to-human interaction is super important in a business like ours. And so in in dealing with uh, female customers your suggestion is that uh, creating an emotional connection is one important part. You have to figure out how that can work better via Zoom if it's not going to be in person. And that active listening is a key that women in general appreciate being listened to a lot. And that uh, that the more that a salesperson does that actively, the more of a connection they're establishing with someone in the sales process. And handwritten thank you notes. So many CEOs and executive leaders I spoke with that are successful and well-liked for their companies said that they write notes to their employees. But I think the most successful salespeople write handwritten that I've seen, handwritten thank you notes to their clients. That was something I adopted as well. Your hand starts to hurt after a while, you know, after writing so many cards. Nobody gets cards in the mail anymore. It costs, what, 40, 42 cents to put a stamp on it or whatever it is now. So it's very cost-effective. It's cheap. It doesn't take too much time. And it has a big impact, regardless of gender. Yeah, that, that's a great point as well. We definitely teach people about thank you notes. In fact, there, there's a Cutco alum who is known as Mr. Thank You. Oh, my gosh. Um, and, How many uh, thank you notes should... have he written? You should look him up. Well, he wrote five a day for 365 days and then wrote a book about all the effects of it. That was pretty cool. Wow. Um, You should check that one out. I've had him on the podcast. I'll send you a link, Heather. You can check it out. Yeah, I'd I'd love to to hear about his results. Yeah, I want you to address the women as well for a few minutes, Heather. I know that uh, from your book, you specify that there are very specific female strengths that women possess. What are these and how do you feel women on our team can better play to those strengths? Companies are realizing studies show financial performance of firms in the S&P 500, for example, with gender equal corporate boards perform better. So it actually increases their profit. And, and the reason why is because it brings a diverse set of opinions. And even though that may be outside of whatever box is created, for example, in Wall Street or financial services as a male-dominated environment, bringing in, it can relate it to politics, like both sides of the aisle. That's the whole point of Congress is to have debate, Democrats and Republicans, you know? And so when you add women, their profits went up at the end of the day. There's a chapter titled, Let Mars Be Mars and Venus Be Venus, which there was actual, actually the book. I don't know if you've read it a long time uh, ago. Uh, women course. are from Mars. What is it? Women are from Venus, men are from Mars, which is not true. We're from the same planet, of course, but it talks about our gender differences. The point is you can use use being a woman to your advantage if you are being in a if you're working in a male-dominated environment. And what I mean by that, because I think it's important to clarify before people jump to conclusions, what does that mean? Not sexually or, or whatever, not wearing mini skirts and six-inch heels. 
I mean, simple things like the small talk, the caring, the bonding aspect of it, which is all when you're in sales, those are the skills that the top salespeople have. And it's actually, I think, easier for women inherently, innately, or whatever you want to call it, biologically, we have babies, men don't. That's one undisputed fact, you know, so far. (laughs) My point is that if we are innately, as women, more nurturing, use that to your advantage, bond with your clients, have that small talk, a moment of caring through words, and connect on an emotional level, which women are so good at, And use it to your strengths, use it to stand out. And look, if most of your clients are females, you may have an easier time bonding with them than some of your male counterparts. Yeah, we're seeing a a great growth in our female, the results of of women salespeople in our company here. Among the top like elite reps in the company, there's a lot more women that are cropping up as some of the very best at the new rep level. Last year, 2020, I was just looking this up, 61 of the top 100 new reps in my organization were women. And so we are seeing that there are great strengths that women have in sales in terms of connection that you described. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for us, as our recruiting of women has now spiked with the virtual environment, our results in developing great women sales reps is increasing. And I feel like that's going to have a an effect on more women leaders. There's a little bit of a lag. Like it takes about two years usually for someone to go from a new sales rep to being able to be a manager with us. And then it normally takes another, say, two years to learn the ropes as a manager and have great success. And so we are headed in a good trajectory. We're not where we want to be as a company in this, but we're headed in a good trajectory. And I think a part of it is because women do have tremendous strengths as both salespeople and in a management role. And it's great to see that playing out. And as you said, when there is more balance in any organization, the results go up. And so Mm -hmm. the efforts that I feel like I'm making here by having you, the efforts that a lot of us are making in our company to grow our women leadership is not it's not something we're doing just because it's the right thing to right do. Right thing to do. It's right. also in our interest. You know, yeah. it is. It, we will be more profitable and successful if we have and develop more women leaders for sure. Yeah, the American Psychological Association cataloged a bunch of these human behavioral gender differences, and and one of them was women excel in in several measures of verbal ability. You know, going back to that, which is no surprise, but women's reading comprehension and writing consistently exceeds their male counterparts. So men, on the other hand, they juggle items more in short term memory easier and have great visual skills. So that's great. You know, men can determine it also said angles, tracking moving objects, and aiming projectiles. Well, how's that going to help you in sales? (laughs) Maybe, maybe. I mean, I don't know. Aiming projectiles at Cutco. So it actually puts men at a disadvantage in in these type of sales positions because a lot of sales is also administrative, which we talked about, like making an organized schedule. And that has to do with reading and typing notes and logs, crossing your I's and dotting your T's for compliance. Those are not usually male strengths. Those are usually female strengths. That's according to the American Psychological Association. So it's not just something, you know, that comes out of nowhere. So I think that's another advantage of of being a woman. Yeah, indeed. 
Heather, talk to me about dating in the workplace and your view on that. Going back to the beginning stages of my career, coming right out of college in my early 20s, I'm not saying don't date anyone, but it's best not to date people you work with because regardless of gender, if things head south, I know it may happen, but my my best advice is just don't do it. If things head south, you could have a jilted ex that turns on you, starts spreading rumors, makes it a toxic environment to work in, or just makes it in general uncomfortable. 58% of employees have dated someone they worked with. So that's a, that's a majority, right? And 22% of couples first met at work. So I'm not going to say that it can't last because obviously if, if roughly 20% met at work that are now married, it can last, but that shows the majority do not. So do you want to put yourself in an environment where this may be your professional career that you want it to be long lasting, where you have to work with someone that maybe you broke up and it's, it's just very uncomfortable. So that would be my advice for, for both genders. It's an emotional risk to you, a threat to your job, and I think a, a potential compliance nightmare for your employer as well. Yeah, it definitely can be. This is kind of a funny topic when I think about how it relates to our company, because we work with 18, 19, 20 year olds, um, <laughs> you know, and so I know that dating in the workplace is quite rampant in an organization like ours. And I would just hope all the young people listening could just think about the consequences and just think, why am I here? Right. If I'm here to advance and to have a successful career and to get the best experience in a professional setting that if that's your purpose, I think that like dating within the company is just something that you can take a pass on. There's plenty of fish in the sea. There's plenty of other places to meet people with all of the online resources these days. Anyone can meet dozens or hundreds of people very quickly. And so I just think your, your point that like there are consequences that can happen it's just worth people considering that and pondering that before they step into a situation that may not be in their best interest in the long run. Any last uh, words of encouragement that you would have for young professionals that want to succeed in today's marketplace? Just do your best. Focus as much as you can as advancing yourself and your career, but then you also have to weigh the pros and the cons. It is a really difficult world we live in today to navigate. So I'm glad I'm still a millennial. But I'm glad I'm not just starting in this environment because it's more difficult, especially with the pandemic, than ever. Just think a little differently. I'm not trying to make people paranoid. And I actually want us all to come together and you to feel more confident. That is my goal as you go back to the workplace, maybe post-COVID or go back to meet clients or wherever you're going. And just do your best to protect yourself and your reputation. If you're, like you said, 18 and 19, maybe you're not thinking that way. My God, I was not, I was not thinking that way in New York, running around at 18 or 19. And I turned out, everything turned out fine, but I wish I was. I think I could have jumped some more steps and not had as many setbacks if I had just taken one more moment to think about things before speaking or acting in in the workplace. Yep. Good insights for sure. How can people find you or follow you, Heather? Twitter at Heather Zuma and Instagram is Heather.Zumaraga. I really appreciate it, Dan. All right. Thanks so much for being part of the podcast. Thank you for having me. 
All right, Heather Zumaraga. That was an interesting conversation for sure with somebody who has been through the ropes and been successful, highly successful in a male-dominated industry and understand some of the do's and don'ts for success. Uh, Some of the things that I took away from that conversation is that first of all, from a perspective of a male leader anywhere in any organization, including our own, is having the desire to develop more women in your organization, having that sincere desire, not because it's just like the right thing to do or it's some fad, but because it's actually going to benefit your team and your organization when there are more women leaders and more examples of success. You've heard on this podcast that you can't be what you don't see. And when a a woman growing up in our business sees other examples of women leaders who are successful, it is far easier for them to aspire to those same levels of success. So we should all be together in this desire to be able to grow the success of women in our or any organization. Another takeaway I got is just learn what works, right? Learn what works. Connection with people works, right? Treating people professionally works. Listening works. These are all elements of success for a good leader. And also learn what doesn't, right? Being overly personal in our interactions tends not to work and create situations where people are uncomfortable. For the women in the audience who are listening, the idea of leveraging your innate talents and innate strengths. Heather and I both agree that there are inherent differences in men and women and that people should be able to recognize that and play to that. The ability to connect that women have, the emotional intelligence level that women seem to have in terms of being able, the perception in interacting with people that they have, the the verbal ability that Heather cited, the organizational skills that Heather cited. These are all talents and traits that women can leverage in order to be highly successful in our business or in any other business. Heather, of course, shared a lot of things that helped her be successful while she was at Sun America and AIG, work ethic, competitive spirit, gratitude for the opportunities that she got. She valued the autonomy and was well-organized and prepared for her tasks. Those are all great ways to make sure that you become successful in any organization. And the last thing I want to say on this whole issue of you know men and women, relationships and business, is just the idea of be a good person. Be a good person. I think that most people are smart enough to know when they're crossing a line, and we should all begin to recognize that. We don't expect you, if you're an 18 or 19-year-old Cutco sales rep, to get it right every time. But as you become older and you become a district manager, you're 25, you're 30, we do expect you to improve in how you are interacting with other people and to know what's right and to be a good person as you're leading, inspiring, and growing your organization. Hope you got some good stuff out of this, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, 
visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. Thank you.